I'm Dr. Leif Tapanilla from the Idaho Museum of Natural History, and I'm here with Peter Pruitt from Zoo Idaho, and this is The Nature of Idaho. Coming to you from the 1B, Bannock County that is, we're talking all about Idaho, its wild places and wild faces, the natural setting that makes Idaho an incredible place to live and be proud of. Our guest today is Josh Rail. He's a local farmer and a florist, co-owner of Flowers by LD. Peter, we're talking about growing flowers for the commercial market. You know, this is great because we've talked about flowers in in the native sense for pollinators. Right. We've talked about organic gardening for vegetables. You know, it's about time we talked about growing flowers. I haven't thought about this all that much. You know, where do all those flowers that folks buy, you know, somebody's got to grow them, right? So, oh, they just show up in the grocery store. Oh, in the plastic. In the plastic. Just like the chicken. Right. No, actually. <laughs> People best, actually grow these things. Yeah, the best flowers show up by Flowers by LD. That's where oh, you need to go. Oh, there you go. Nicely yes. done. Good yes. tie-in. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> the check's in the mail, Peter. Excellent. Okay, first, though, let's get into the nature and the news. Yeah, Leif. Today we're going to talk about fluid mechanics, which is a branch of physics that's concerned with the response of fluids to forces exerted on them. You know, and it's it's of great importance, of course, to hydraulic and aeronautical engineering, sure. chemical engineering, meteorology, and even zoology. Yeah. So we've got some uh, researchers out of the out of Brown University who really kind of wants to focus in on some of the very specific mechanics of uh, fluid. Yeah, and I'm going to guess what fluids they're going for. Okay, go ahead. Uh, booze. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, oh, we got to add sparkling water too. Okay, so what are they? What are they doing? So they here? were they were specifically looking at champagne bubbles, right? And champagne bubbles go up in a very straight line, and this is a very stable bubble chain. Yeah, you see and, them on the form on the glass, right? And, then there's and they just, just perfect line. They that go goes straight, straight up. up there. Yeah, but Got if you look at your sparkling water, which most of our listeners drink, um, and then beer, it the bubbles just kind of look like they go everywhere. It's it's like a whole it's a mess, a mess, and they're all racing to the top to see who can win. <laughs> and what they found as they were looking at the champagne is that it comes down to a basic contaminant where sparkling water is, is kind of pure with the carbon dioxide put in there. Sure. But champagne has something called surfactants in okay. it. And it's a soap-like compound which really reduces the resistance of the bubble and the fluid. And so it's a very stable movement up and that's how they go up in that nice straight line. Interesting. And, and so what a more high-class champagne has better bubble chains in it yeah, and finer bubbles. Too, finer bubbles, yeah. And yeah. the other thing that they found out too is um, if you have really large bubbles and you don't have the, the surfactants in there, yeah. these large bubbles create a wake around them and that results in a very stable bubble chain as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, if you happen to be listening right now and you have a glass of champagne in front of you at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, Raise it and the and bubble to chains. a toast to the stable bubble chain. You know? <laughs> your mimosa, your yeah, morning your mimosa. Mimo morning mimosa. <laughs> Excellent, Peter. Thanks for bringing that. Uh, today's trivia is all about flowers. What is the best-selling cut flower in the United States? I think you're going to be surprised. When we come back from the break, Josh Rail joins us to talk about growing flowers. Stay tuned. 
Hi, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Here at NPR, we try to reach all kinds of listeners. My name is Leo, and I'm eight years old. And we take feedback very seriously. I never hear much about nature or dinosaurs or things like that. So when Leo wrote us about our appalling lack of dinosaur coverage on All Things Considered, we knew we had to talk to him. Hi, Leo. Hi. I hear from your parents that you want to be a paleontologist when you grow up, and now we've got one on the line for you. Okay. <laughs> let me let you ask a question. How did dinosaurs grow to be so big? This is hard-hitting journalism, because these are the types of questions that keep paleontologists up at night. In public radio, we value our relationship with each and every one of our listeners. You listen to us, and we listen to you too. So keep our connection strong. Donate to this station right now. Here's how. You know who covers dinosaurs really well? The Nature of Idaho on KISU. Support NPR and KISU programs by visiting KISU.org and click donate. Hey, welcome back from the break. I want to welcome our guest today, Josh Rail. He's a local farmer and a florist, co-owner of Flowers by LD. So thanks for joining us today on The Nature of Idaho. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, tell us about yourself and what you do. Uh, I am a flower farmer. I work full-time at Flowers by LD, kind of help them run the place. Um, I started out 20 years ago in IT, working for a company in New York, and about five years ago, kind of got done at sick of working on that and decided to buy a little farm, start growing flowers. And I had known LD for a while, so got involved at the shop. So he didn't have to be there quite as much. That sounds like a big career change. It uh, has been quite a change. <laughs> um, you know, I worked from home for 20 years. And when I finally said, I want to work with people again, COVID hit and everyone stayed at home. So <laughs> it, the first year in the shop was a little, uh, it was me and LD and one other person kind of floating around. So it was an interesting transition. So what came for first, Josh, um, working at Flowers by LD or going, I'm going to start this farm? Working at the shop, I was helping him with events and stuff prior to kind of that switch. And then the switch in the farm was kind of at the same time. Do the farm and the shop and they kind of work well together. So it kind of made a good, good transition. So let's let's talk about growing flowers. You know, I've tried to grow vegetables and it's never worked. So when you jumped into growing flowers, was it where you like, ha, success, Eureka, we've got this. The or, growing process, yeah. yes, was a very success, Eureka. The selling process, maybe a little less. Okay. Um, I'd never done vegetables, food, so the flowers were just kind of a natural thing. The first year we did suns, strictly, uh, we did 60,000 stems, so it was just a field of sunflower flowers, stunning. Um, Selling 60,000 sunflowers here is not the most easy process. So that was kind of a huge, you need to diversify, grow fewer fewer stems, more varieties, and it made it a lot easier to kind of sell here locally. How big's the farm that you have? It's one acre. I grow on half of that and live on the other half. When I first started looking at land, I thought I needed five acres. You get out on an acre and think you're going to cut every flower by hand, and a half <laughs> acre all of a sudden is much bigger than... You envision. Right. <laughs> so uh, that made it real easy. That The land's right on Hawthorne. It's in the middle of town. You kind of drive by it, don't notice it, but it's gorgeous in the backyard. So let's, let's start at the beginning of the season. How do you decide what flowers you're going to grow? And then let's begin after that with the planting process. 
it changes every season. I always do sunflowers. I always do dahlias. And then I kind of throw the cards in the air and want to try something new. Um, the shop growing kind of primarily for the shop helps. Um, if we have weddings we know that are coming up, I can kind of cater things for that. So that helps to kind of be on the whim and the shop can always absorb whatever kind of doesn't sell as well as I think it will or not. But sunflowers, dahlias are kind of my main focus. They always sell well and they always grow well here. Everything else I get in plugs and it's just kind of hit or miss. If we have a nice, cool spring, plugs will do really well. Sunflowers, snapdragons in particular, I tried for years and they need a cool spring and then a hotter summer and they grow really tall. When we have that switch from cold to hot so quick, they're about the size for a boutonniere and they just will not grow. So suns and dahlias do great with that quick switch. And so that's kind of what I've started to focus more on. So you, you talked about harvesting, cutting by hand. Do you plant by hand? I have a walk behind tractor, drops the seeds. I can plant about a thousand in 30 minutes, 25 minutes. And that's what I do every week, plant every Thursday. And then we irrigate Thursday. And then that's kind of my process throughout the summer. The dahlias, I plant those by hand, but they're tubers like a bulb and plant them and then they grow. Multiply. And then in the fall, when you dig them up, you split them up and you have more for next season. So when the harvest comes, I, I'm imagining a lot of flowers coming in more or less at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, how, how do you manage with the, I don't have any flowers and then all of a sudden I've got a lot of flowers to do. So the, yeah. the suns I plant every week, um, I have 54 rows. And so I break everything down into a number of rows for where the season's at, how many rows I'm going to plant. Sunflowers to jump off that are kind of interesting. The size of the sunflower is based on how close you plant the seeds. So if you want a bigger really? stem and a bigger, the gigantic flowers you see, you just plant the seeds farther apart. Oh, There's not that. a different seed at all. It's just that hmm. whole distance. Huh. The small seeds, smaller head, which work better in the vases for the shop, we plant really close. So I'll do a row really close, adjust things, have it a little wider, and get bigger flowers depending on what we need. So back to the timing, I kind of look at when those rows are going to come into season or into bloom. And with sunflowers, it's about 66 days, maybe okay. 68. It's a very narrow window. And where we flood irrigate on Thursdays, it's a very consistent schedule. And so they're very consistent when they come up. So you can kind of gauge that. And then I have a walk-in cooler. We just cut, we put in there. And then um, throughout the week, I can sell. And I can usually get that pretty emptied out by the time the next rush are coming in from the field. But then I can cut a couple days out of the week, and those rows will pretty much be empty. And then the next rows are starting to open up. And then the dahlias, once they come into season in end of July, depending on the heat, they just, you cut the flowers off and more open and they will just bloom and produce until it freezes. They, they don't have a, you know, six stems per tuber. It's the more you cut, the more they grow. So they're little powerhouses. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds nice. So I'm imagining these are all plain air. They're out in the open. They are. I don't have anything in a greenhouse. I'd like to, if I had more land, um, I'd like to have a greenhouse. It could, you know, get tulips in for Mother's Day. Our springs are so sporadic. Trying to grow stuff outside before June is really, uh, for me, 
having the shop and that it's really troublesome to kind of manage all that and deal with the weather. So it's all in the field. I only do stuff that's easier to manage in that. And it's been working out pretty good. There's a whole business side of once you produce the flowers, like you said, you have to mm-hmm. you have to sell them, you have to find the market for them. Could you talk a little bit about the, the flower industry? It's something I haven't really thought about a whole lot. Where do flowers come from and what's the domestic versus import markets like? So we, uh, LD and I go to Ecuador every year for 10 days. We tour um, about 10 to 12 different farms over there. The first year I went was my third year farming and it was very eye-opening on how those big operations go versus a small one, which you envision that when you go there. They're, they grow everything under a greenhouse. Each greenhouse is a hectare in size, which is roughly two and a half acres. And they'll have a hundred of those touching. Like there's no space. Wow. They catch all the water, have big lagoons, pipe it back into water. It's a an amazing process to see. And then they ship them over and we burn through them. And Outside of the summer, that is our major suppliers from Ecuador. Summer, we try to get them, we buy as local as we can, and then supplement with what we do from Ecuador. The local market, you know, I was kind of hard to get into. I shouldn't say it was hard. You went around to all the shops and, and kind of sold things, and then uh, that was an easy sell. I knew most of them anyways from being with Flowers by LD, so it wasn't walking as a stranger and saying, hey, I grow flowers. Do you want to buy them? I knew them all and, and they knew I was going to be growing them. So for me, it made it a little easier to break into the local area. I sell to a couple wholesalers out of Utah and it was the same thing. I already had a relationship with them from the shop. So that made it really easy for me to break into the, the market. We have a couple other farms we buy from and we know them. And then we do have some local people that just grow and they come in and they bring their flowers, and if they look nice, we buy them. It's uh, grown local. It's hard to really have a bad product unless you're just not paying attention to it. It's fresh. It's easy to grow. Here they are. So it's been an interesting market to be in. I was going to ask, you know, one of the differences, obviously, season makes a big difference mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, whether you have to import from Ecuador, for example, or, or be able to have local supply. But in terms of uh, types of flowers and varieties of flowers, you know, certain things are going to grow well here in Idaho and others aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about the kinds of varieties of flowers that grow well here in Idaho as opposed to things that just don't? Sure. We, you know, there's a, a farm up in Blackfoot Florage, and they, they do it full time. on, And they grow a huge variety of gorgeous stuff. They have some greenhouses they grow under. They have some shade. And then they have open fields, um, a lot of little hardier stuff. The tulips grow really well if you have a greenhouse. Freesia grows really well. A lot of things grow well if you can control that environment just a little bit. We've got good soil. We've got good heat once you can get from winter to summer and kind of control that spring thing. You can really grow a lot here. If you're going to grow out in the open areas where it gets really hard to make that transition from winter to spring, I tried to start one year. I had a hundred different varieties and it just, um, <laughs> it was a mess. Yeah. And so I, that's where I just narrowed back down to the sunflowers and dahlias because they're hardy and they don't take a whole lot of time right. to have them be well. And they're consistent. Right? And, they're, and the sunflowers grow so quick and they have those broad leaves. They kind of keep the weed suppression down so I don't have to weed them. The dahlias I put down... Uh, plastic and then have the holes so that works well 
the plugs are really time consuming and I don't have the greenhouse to start them. So I quickly focused in on the hardy stuff and stayed away from the more ornamental, pretty stuff that like Florage grows. They have it down to a science. I'm not going to compete with them. And so they do grow suns, but not as many. And so we kind of did our own thing and that just made sense for me. So of- I don't have a whole lot of input on all of the things that you could grow here, but I know off of what Florage has, there's a ton of stuff you can grow really well. Yeah, you're kind of filling in that niche mm-hmm. that they're not doing. And so not necessarily a direct competition, right. but you're still offering excellent product that they aren't. Right. So, and, you know, and the other one that I, I'm still fascinated with, the, a, a one hectare <laughs> building. And we were talking a little bit before the show with yours being outside. You know, I asked about bees. Right. So what's a you know this is a benefit for growing outside as well. It is. We have we do have bees at the farm. the The one drawback is you tend to harvest before um, you want the flower to open in the shop, not in the field. So we tend to cut things a little earlier than what the bees really like. Um, but I grow for the bees. They're just fascinating little creatures. So we really have them there more because I like them and they're fun to fun to watch and fun to have around. They don't help the flower farm so much because we cut at that early stage. But they help everything to have them. So I do grow enough to leave for them to get on. And they're awesome little creatures. We need to have them around. So <laughs> don't kill the bees when they're going to sting you. <laughs> right. Just shoo them away. Yeah. Shoo, shoo, shoo. Well, I, I was going to ask, are, are pollinators part of the operation at all at, at, at any stage? Or? Not really. Um, they're around, but, you know, everything – I cut the sunflower just before it opens. Right. So it's right before they would get in there to do anything. So we do have that kind of rip them out right before they could use them. But every row that has – we grow, I leave the little end for the bees. And then and as you go up, they kind of have quite a few out there that they can – they can go to which you know is fantastic when you think mm-hmm. about um big commercial farmers if you can start taking just the edges mm-hmm. and right. doing native flowers native shrubs etc for our pollinators you know that's fantastic and so you're doing that little part mm-hmm. that we should all be thinking about right. just leaving just leave a little bit there. You Just don't need it all. Bit. Yeah, you don't need it all. Right. Yep. You don't have to be greedy because the bees are the bees yeah. are right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize how important they are. I think we need them around. Hopefully everyone is realizing how important yeah. the, our bees are. So, yeah. You've been planting for a little bit of time here and recognizing what what plants are, you know, productive and which ones are, right. you know, have you have you noticed any changes? So, we've had a I don't know, just over even the past couple, 2, 3 years our spring, summer, fall, they've all been pretty different from each other. They have. I guess you're trying to manage and work with what nature gives you. So how, how's that fared? The first four years, I really tried to push into spring as quick as I could. And I learned that that is, a hor- for me, a bad <laughs> idea. Because no matter what I did, Mother Nature said, no, Yikes, you're not doing Mother that. Nature. And first of June was when things finally just always seemed to naturally align for me. So that's what I've just started. First of June, things are good to go. And I try to prep things and then 
off we go. Even if April looks really awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> the worst. Yeah. April will look great. You get things in the ground, and then it freezes. Yeah, right. yeah. What did we Hard have? freeze. This year, we had a 70-degree day and then 18 yeah. inches of snow. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's yeah, been interesting. A greenhouse would be heaven, but the field's good. I like it. A greenhouse is a whole nother mess of problems you got to start dealing with, so. It works good to have a field. Well, yeah. So, uh, being out in the field, uh, you know, have you had to deal with uh, disease or pests or that sort of I've thing? I've been, I, I've been pretty lucky with it. We have flood irrigation off of, um, Fort Hall water, and it. I don't. This is my own theory. I have no background in it, but I feel like having that irrigation over, like pumping it out of the city or something that's filtered. There's, I'm sure, there's dead cows, dead fish. It always, I don't have to fertilize at all. Things grow really well. I don't know if that water is just organic enough that I pull stuff out of there, but I've had great success with that. I don't have a huge um, insect problem. I haven't had any diseases come through. I've just been really fortunate that I don't have any of that. Earwigs have been my biggest problem. And the <laughs> ground up rock that you can just kind of blow, it's a powder. Yep. Diatomaceous earth, I think, yep. is what I've been using. It works perfect. So I moved from one part of the field to another where we had the chickens, and they go in and eat the earwigs, and so now I don't even have to spray that. So we don't use anything but water and plant the seeds. And then I rotate the beds to kind of keep from over-pulling one stuff from flowers. But mm-hmm. I love it. He's got... Bees and chickens and you're, and two dogs and two dogs, two dogs. perfect. And the yeah. dogs just go through and barrel and ruin stuff, and then you go and right. have the chickens and people fix it. Yeah, but I'm thinking sun, sunflowers are pretty robust plants. They are. You know, they 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 can stand up to a lot of things. And the dahlias, they are too. When they're growing, they're hardy. Once you cut them, they're a little delicate, but they're they're hardy stuff. Yeah. I found a little. The easy stuff is the best for me, and I stop on the takes time and easy. No, no, no. Plant the seed, let it grow. That's all you like. Josh, you know, we're sitting here and we're kind of talking about, you know, we've got our local producer and you and then mm-hmm. the massive producers down in Ecuador. You know, what do you kind of see for the, the future? You know, are we going to – do you hope we move more towards kind of the local producers and rely on the big producers or we need to? Or do you From, think – you know, how, what's the industry look like? our area, every all the shops – seem to really support the local grown stuff when you can. You get more variety. You just can't get that quality from Ecuador or Holland for the most part. So all the shops really tend to support all the local growers and then get everything else coming in when the season demands it or the season can provide it. So for locally, local flowers seem to do really well. The farmers seem to do good. And the season here, though, is so short, there's no way it could ever be a local only here. Mm-hmm. The farms we get from in California, they're just as big as production as farms in, you know, overseas. So I think you could always support local more, but in the flower industry, it seems to be here we're supporting it as much as we can, and which is good. Yeah, I, I think, too, um, sometimes it's easy for us to be in the big supermarket and say, oh, there's some flowers. I'll get my sweetie some flowers. You know, but I, I think still go to our, our local f- flower shops, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't think these supermarkets are necessarily working with, with you on the on the local growers. Not only is it 
good for our economy. It's good mm-hmm. for our local flower shops. It's good for Josh. And you think about bees and chickens and everything out on your ranch. Right. You know, it's also better for our you know, our local environment as well. It is. You say uh, it is interesting. Harmons in Salt Lake City. I've been talking with them sporadically. Um, they're a big chain that does try to support local. So even the the bigger places do kind of notice that that's a it's an important thing to do and try to pull in. But florists definitely are the I think the biggest supporters of local farms and all of the ones in Pocatello do a great job. Of, Doing that. You said you came into the industry sort of right through the COVID uh, time frame, and I, I'm I'm wondering about supply chain and how that's affected the the florist industry, at least at the local level. Have you have you seen kind of ups and downs as a result of? It's of that? been, to be honest, COVID was a great year for us. People were at home. We were we've always been a delivery business. You know, walk in has always been secondary. And so COVID was really, uh, we were ready for it. People wanted to send stuff. We didn't really have a problem with the supply chain then. I think the farms were, they're also kind of in the ready for it. And you got stuff, you got to ship it. And we didn't really have a huge issue getting things in. Farm-wise, you can grow with, you don't need to, or you stayed inside, whatever we called that. We didn't have to do that. So it was easy to keep going through COVID and it gave you something to do. Yeah. So we didn't. We didn't see any issues with COVID, really. Supply chain or customer demand, both were were there throughout the whole thing. Okay, so you do this for uh, for sale, but for folks that are growing their gardens at home and trying mm-hmm. to get their flowers to, I don't know, be more lively, do you have any advice for, uh, I don't know, brown thumbs like me? Um, <laughs> just plant a lot of things and let them go is what I like to do. Overplant like and some of them will grow. Um, <laughs> That's I've been I have a more uh, hands off approach to that. And I just like to plant a lot and I'll take what's there. And if you grow too much, then the bees have it. So I don't know if I have a perfect advice for you, but that's what I would do. That's exactly what I did, Leaf. I I just threw a bunch of seeds out and let them grow. And you know what? I've got blue flax everywhere. Yeah. So Mother Nature likes to grow. Like, yeah. yep. the more yeah. we try to get involved, it seems like the more you kind of screw things up. The so Zen approach. I let, them, <laughs> yeah. let them be. Yeah. Yeah. So. I remember to water the flowers and I forget to water the grass. So I've got. You got the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> we started the, uh, the show off with a trivia question about uh, what is the, the best selling cut flower in the United States? Can you help us with that? Sure. It, Am I given the answer? You are given okay. the answer. It's tulips. Tulips. Uh, yep. They're gorgeous in the spring. And if you can get them from Florage Farm in Blackfoot, I know it's not real farms. They have unbelievable tulips in spring. But they're they're a huge, huge product. They started the uh, flower market in Holland. And if you look at the history of the tulip bulb, it is it was a huge currency, like stock market thing. It's a fascinating history. But tulips are so I would have thought roses for sure. And I, I would some have of our too. listeners yeah. too. Right? I would yeah. have too. Their uh, roses are everywhere. Um, but I guess the tulip is the moneymaker. It's kind of funny as a kid, the first flower we learned was the dandelion <laughs> and then tulips. We had tulips everywhere. Right. Yep. So yeah. And they just they bloomed in the spring and that was that. And that was that. Yep. People love them. That's fantastic. All right, Josh, we really want to thank you for joining us today and to learn more about 
Rail Farms and Flowers by LD, just go to Instagram. You're going to see some awesome pictures and you'll be able to tell when these flowers are coming to market. The Nature of Idaho receives support from listener contributions to KISU-FM. Shows are produced at Idaho State University with editing and production by Jamin Anderson. Music is by Idaho's very own Sons of Bannock. Audio of this and all past episodes of The Nature of Idaho can be found at KISU.org from Spotify and other select podcast services. Send your thoughts and suggestions to noidkisu at isu.edu.